0: Your goal is not even to do well in any of the conversations. Your goal is to talk to 10 people and even, you know, to to do kind of crappy. You know, when you focus on that number, it takes the performance anxiety off of any one of those conversations. You'll be more relaxed, come up with more ideas, and, and it'll just flow better.
1: Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast,
0: where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods
1: Butler. Hello, friends. A few weeks ago, I was listening to Dave Jackson's School of Podcasting, and he was doing an interview with a man named Chad Elliott. Uh, Chad is a guy who teaches improv in Seattle, and he also is the author of a book called Improv Manifesto, Seven Easy Steps to Confidence, Creativity, and Charisma, Even If You're Shy. And I think it was that last um, bit of, of subtitle, that Even If You're Shy, that really piqued my interest. Chad believes that learning the techniques of improv can help us with our general overall communication skills. And the best part is that it's all done through play. It's, it's, these techniques and these strategies are designed to circumvent our filters and to quiet our nattering, editing brain. And so much of what he says applies to the skills that we need particularly to build as a personal historian. So everything from skills in sitting down and interviewing somebody to actually having that first initial sales conversation when somebody is approaching us wondering if maybe they want to work with us on a project. So I ordered the book that Chad wrote and Chad agreed to uh, come on today's show as a guest, and I think you're going to get a lot out of our conversation. So without further ado, here is today's interview with Chad Elliott hi hi Chad what we are going to do is talk a little bit about how we could use these concepts as personal historians but first a, a little introduction Chad grew up as a shy lonely kid in a small town later he did everything he could to change his life he's traveled around the world jumped out of airplanes hitchhiked across the country he's been a professional ballroom dancer he's spent years studying psychology communication skills and creativity and I'll tell you what you can really see how that study comes out to play in the book that he wrote today he runs com. chad it's so good to have you here
0: thanks it's a pleasure to be here
1: hi everyone you say you grew up as a sad and lonely kid and yeah so hopefully things have turned around for you since then um yeah. can you start off by just telling us a little bit about those shy lonely years and and what brought <laughs> you to where you are in life today
0: sure um <laughs> It's so funny.
1: You know, t- tell us about the the sad times. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay, so I grew up in this really small town. It's like 4,000 4500 people. Um and um so my my father died when I was 2. Though he wasn't actually it gets very confusing. It was he wasn't actually my father. I was born through artificial insemination, but he still he was my technically my dad and he died when I was 2. Uh my mother wound up raising three kids alone, which, you know, looking back on it, I'm sure it was very hard for her. and Well, I know it was very hard for her. Um, But as a kid, it just feels very rough, and and she could be uh, angry. And then I was rather shy, so I didn't want to go to school, so I I was homeschooled. But I was was pretty much... I was largely left to my own devices a lot of the time. So, um, And just as the years went by, I just wound up spending a lot of time uh, to myself. Um, And then I, I, you know, randomly... I saw uh, Tony Robbins on the Home Shopping Network and uh, he kind of got me interested in like personal development type stuff. And so I started reading self-help books and that kind of thing. And then I got interested in taking some classes that were on the other side of the country. So I hitchhiked from uh, Seattle over to the East Coast and uh, wound up living there for several years and I had had several adventures along the way. Um, And I just kept plugging away, trying to improve, and uh, made plenty of of mistakes along the way. Uh, But I learned a lot, and I studied things like neurolinguistic programming, uh, storytelling, improv. Um, I wound up becoming a ballroom dance teacher, which is a very uh, people-centric area it's all about teaching and about motivating people about um being able to get along with anyone so uh it's right
1: which sounds like a pretty big um leap of faith or or leap of courage i guess i should say for somebody who didn't feel comfortable socially
0: right yeah and that was why i wanted to do it i mean Okay, so it's largely, well, there's two reasons. One is that I knew that women really like dancing and I wanted <laughs> to be more successful with women. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's also really beautiful. Like dancing is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and you wouldn't stay with it for, for like teaching it five years if you didn't love it. Um, but also, like, I, I mean, it's just such an obviously uh, uh, people centric uh, area. And we, and when the company I was working for gave lots of, we would do lots of training on, things like teaching, adapting to different personalities. Um, and even like we had a, you know, there's, they call it interviewing, which is when like people come in for their first few lessons, you're kind of interviewing them to find out why they're taking lessons and what they want. So
1: were there reasons beyond just the obvious of, I want to have, you know, fun on a weekend night?
0: Yeah, it was usually, uh, it was usually socially oriented. So people wanted to, we, you know, we, I live in Seattle right now. So there are a lot of, uh, Uh, programmers, a lot of, so a lot of people from like Microsoft, Amazon, Google, who don't get to socialize, you know? So the
1: techie crowd.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and then, I mean, actually a lot of people now, they work at desks. they don't get to, you know, even, even like the act of touching another person is, is pretty rare, uh, in our society. So, and, and actually, you know, I was at a, a kind of like the moth storytelling, uh, type thing last night, and there was this guy there who's like, I don't know, I think he's like seventy years old, and he was talking about when when television came out, like before television, his family they would go talk to their neighbors, they'd go spend time in the, around each other in the evenings and socialize, and then after television, people stayed home and they watched TV, um, and we still we still kind of got that, and so and dance is like a great way to to go out and meet people, and there's not like telephones or, or smartphones. Um,
1: so you, you yeah. did the dancing and then um, obviously you somehow got into improv. Was that right after you stopped the five years of, of dance instruction?
0: No, I'd, I'd gotten interested in it like... Over the years, and I was like, uh, my interest would kind of skip like a rock on a on a lake. It would like I'd be like I'd go in and then like, I like, go in and go and then uh, finally, I read a book um, by a guy named Keith Johnstone and it's called Impro. and he uh, has a lot of the same interest I do, like he really views it. Rather than just like for comedy, which is what most people think of, they think of like, whose line is it anyway, and grown men like rolling around on the floor and and like acting like babies or whatever. Um, he views it as this opportunity for people to uh learn to like let out uh their their true selves and to be more expressive and to communicate better and to let go of fear. And uh, and so and then I continued studying more, and there's another woman named Viola Spolin who like these are these two people are kind of like the grandmother and grandfather of of like improv like they came up with so many ideas and and she too she viewed it that way she was like this is you know she was looking to create not just you know a per, a random performance but to uh to really have people let go of their ego and to feel a sense of oneness with the other person and they just had like this higher level dreams of what was possible and, and, uh, and that really attracted me. So I, I started, um, you know, when you're a dance teacher, you have a weird, really weird schedule. And so I, I, in order to, uh, do this more, like I had, I had attended some classes and stuff, but I started, uh, basically holding my own classes through meetup.com. And, uh, uh, pretty quickly like I, I got really good at teaching it because of all my background in these different communication things and so people encouraged me to go into business for it and and I'd always wanted to teach communication and, and this kind of stuff and so uh, and so I started doing that and I and I left
1: that's so interesting so I'm just curious when you had these meetup classes where would you where would they take place
0: uh, at the local libraries so the libraries in Seattle let uh, let you hold um, the one event per location for your group per month uh totally for free you like you could use it like i would have meetups that were like 3 hours um and they were really nice really nice locations and the, the librarians were helpful it was great
1: right very good well, and that's, I'm just kind of uh, thinking along the personal historian's line, that would be something that a beginning personal historian can also utilize if, you know, going to the library and uh, using Meetup to set up um, classes on memoir writing or, or talking to people about starting to gather their family stories. So, very yeah. interesting.
0: And, and you know, I encourage, I encourage anyone when they are going into, uh, you know, business like this if they can, like, that, it was... It was a great way, hey like i didn't even plan to go into business for it originally but but it's a great way to uh be able to practice it's it's great to practice stuff when there's not really much on the line like people have come for free, you've got a good class size because uh because it's free, and you get to experiment with stuff you get to learn how to be a better teacher, and then also like as you get good, people like will write you testimonials so when you do
1: oh right you,
0: know, you can have something that helps you testimonials are a big part of like are really valuable so that's really good for that and right. you, just, you meet nice people you make new friends it's great
1: and you get feedback as you go along so if you yeah. i'm sure you're hearing from these people who don't have you know who don't have any money invested so hopefully they're just giving you good feedback on whether something works or not and that's pretty priceless yeah
0: yeah yeah and you know uh it's good to uh because feedback feedback is always something you can use more of, and it's it can be challenging to get because people don't want to be mean. Um, but uh, it and I would often record my own classes and then watch all or part of them back so that I could get an external eye on what was going and and like how I was presenting things and what went wrong and what went right, uh, and that's really valuable. I encourage anytime you do anything, if you can listen back to yourself uh, and or watch yourself, uh, then it's a really good way to improve.
1: That is, I agree with you. And that's what I tell people who come to me looking for, for coaching on writing life stories or, or, for doing this as a business, becoming a personal historian is, you know, one of the best things you can do is after you've done some practice interviews, and I say practice just because I I encourage people when they're first starting out to get a sample project going. So somebody who they are not going to be taking money from, but they're going to go through the whole process of interviewing and writing and um, producing the book. Um, so that a, they know all of the steps that are involved and they can work out the kinks as they go along without having, feeling the pressure of, you know, this is a paying customer because they're not. Um, and secondly, they will have a sample at the end, a sample yes. book. But one thing that I recommend is that when they're sitting down and doing the the interviews, um, go back and listen to the recordings because you can find places where, you know, maybe you're talking too much. Well, and, and actually, that leads me to my next question or my big first big question with you is, um, you know, it's... Listening is probably the greatest skill that we can have as an interviewer, and I think interviewing is the greatest skill that we can bring to the table as a personal historian. Obviously, you need to know how to write. If you're working in that medium, you need to know how to do the technical stuff with a with audio or video, um, but really being in the moment. And that is what you talk about being in the moment for your interviews. So um, Brenda Yulin, she uh, years ago wrote this essay called The Art of Listening. And one of the lines she says is that listening is a magnetic and strange thing, a creative force, and I love that idea of it being a creative force. And I think you absolutely touch on that as well. So, can you talk a little bit about that? What that means to be in the moment for improv, and maybe what we can, how we can adapt that to our work as a personal historian?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, people. Okay, so there there are probably three main reasons that people. You know get get into their head and and basically stop listening uh one is one is fear like they're in their head and they're thinking of like what could go wrong or you know what does this person think of me or i'm gonna I'm gonna say something stupid uh another reason is is trying to plan ahead they're like okay so what am i gonna do next i'm gonna do this and then later and then do this and then they're not focusing on what's going on right now which makes their plan kind of irrelevant because they might miss something really important um And then, and then there's basically like some sort of objective, like most, you know, many salespeople, if you're interacting with a salespeople, they're just like, I, they're like, I don't really care who you are, what you say. I just want you to buy this thing. And I, you know, I remember uh, years ago being in a class and and it was just like a demonstration, uh, but one of the person picked for the demonstration was a, um, it was actually a salesperson and he was just asked to sell this marker to this woman in the class. And... It, he because he wasn't really paying attention to her, he just wound up offending the heck out of her. And uh, at one point, he goes, because he's trying to sell this marker, and he goes, like, do you have other markers like this? And she goes, no, I don't have other markers like this. And he goes, well, don't you want this one to go with your set of markers that you already have? And, and we all laughed. We're like, you just, you obviously did not hear that she said she doesn't have any. Uh, and that, that kind of thing happens all the time. Uh, and so... It's and it's really not enough to just say, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta listen. It's like, okay, how do you, how do you do that? And there are there are plenty of of really useful strategies. Um, I mean, part part we, partly, you just have to first start to recognize when you're doing which. Um, but there are different things you can do. So, uh, well, before before we get into practice, like how to practice it, there's also there's like the element of there's listening to the words and being able to remember the words they said and and really hearing them uh but there's also like their tone and their the person's body language if you can see them there's their pace and that that stuff is all important because sometimes you'll pick up on on where your the voice tone and and body language doesn't match the words and that's a sign that you you want to delve in there a little bit and find out what's going on or
1: so so give us an example of what that might look like
0: well um i uh, remember <laughs> I remember years ago so when I was teaching dance, there was this guy who came in for uh dance lessons, and he was getting ready i think I think it was like they were making um the Miami Vice uh, TV show into a movie, and he had an, a part as an extra, and so he needed to learn to dance salsa. And this guy uh, was, I mean, he he had his issues. He um, uh, had definitely had, some, had a drinking problem, and uh, he brought in a woman who was not his girlfriend in on several of his lessons, but he had a girlfriend. So we, it's, it's, you see weird things when you're a dance teacher. Uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> and so one day he's walking across the the lobby, and I say, "Hey," and I don't even I think his, I don't remember his name. We'll say John. I wouldn't want to say his name anyway because that would be uh, rude. <laughs> but but I said, "Hey, John," you know, "How's it going?" And he goes, "Oh, good," which was like a contradiction, like his tone and his body language. Right. Like, and so I say, uh, "Good," uh where I was matching back like the ne- like that negative tone. I said the same word. I just said the same word with a, a question mark. Is good, uh, and he goes, "Well, I uh, I'm being audited by the IRS, and I'm, it seems I'm going to owe them four hundred thousand dollars in back taxes. So I'm really stressed. And uh, and he was like a, a con- building contractors, and I actually think that kind of thing is fairly common <laughs> with contractors, um, but. But, you know, it, I think it's very common that, you know, in typical life, one person says, hey, how's it going? The other person says, oh, I'm good. And good can, if you listen to the tone, can mean a lot of different things. And so when you hear that kind of th- thing, or maybe, you know, maybe even it's not a contradiction. You just hear someone say a name like, oh, John. And you can tell they don't like them. Or they're like, John. And you can tell they're really excited. And so you can... uh the main The main two things you can do if there's something there you want to explore is you can either directly say uh you know I notice that you say good, but your body language doesn't seem to match like you seem like you're sad when you mention that is there is there something going on that you want to talk about um and and that can that can be all they need. That's often all you need. And the person will just be like, well, actually, da-da-da-da-da. Um, on the flip side, sometimes if you directly say that kind of thing, the person will feel, it'll feel like an attack. Because either they don't realize that they're being contradictory. Um, you know, like when someone's like, I love you. And you're like, wow, you sound so loving right <laughs> now. Uh, and, and in in that situation, they may get, they may feel like they're being accused of something or, or maybe there's something like it's really personal and they don't feel comfortable saying it. And if you directly ask, it'll make them clam up or become defensive. Um, and that's why kind of mirroring it back and just, you know, adding that bit of question mark at the end can be a nice way to that on some level they get, Oh, this person gets that I'm actually not okay. Or, um, but then they'll tend to open up if, if it's appropriate and if, if they really don't want to, then they won't. Um, or, you know, if the person has said like, Oh, you know, Maui or whatever it is. And you hear some sort of emotion, you can go, Oh, you know, it it sounds like that was a really intense experience for you, or there's really positive or that was really negative. Can you tell me more about that? Uh, which I'm sure that when you're doing these personal histories, that that kind of thing must happen. Like some random name will come up and you're like, That's someone who's important. I want to dive into that.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking as you were describing this, because that is a skill that we really have to have as a personal historian, because very often people will, you know, they'll be sitting down and talking to you, telling you their stories, and they think that they're saying so much more than they really are. And a lot of it is, you know, comes across through tone of voice and everything, but you can't take that back and and write a book out of it. You know, you you don't get the tone of voice, at least in that respect, with, with the written word, you know, you actually have to have the details, you have to, you have to drill down. And, you know, drilling down is really an art during these interviews because you don't want to get the people out of the flow if they're telling a story, but you also have to be attuned to those, um, the areas of hesitation. And I think that's what you're talking about. Like if somebody say good, you know, like I'm doing good, you know, and you, and you have to know then to follow up and you have to do it judiciously because, you know there are times when people get a little defensive when they're talking about about their stories, even if they've hired you to actually, <laughs> you know, interview that you interview them about the stories.
0: Yeah, and and I, I had a couple uh, thoughts kind of in that area um, as far as how. Uh, you know, so this kind of this falls in line with what we were talking about, basically how to ask questions without feeling like it's interrogation, um, and also. Like what? What to hone in on? Um, because you know, it, it, we've all we've all had the kind of conversation where one person is asking question after question after question, and the other person, you know, they answer. But maybe you know, if it's like a, a dinner party or something, maybe the other person is kind of giving these short answers and like one word answers, uh, which is obviously a, you know, in, in your position, you obviously don't want that to happen. I, I actually, I'm curious, does that Does it ever kind of feel like that sort of happens where it starts to feel like almost like it's become where you kind of feel like you're interrogating them and they kind of become that kind of thing?
1: That's that's an interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting question. And honestly, no. And I think it's because the whole dynamic right from the get go is um, the way that I approach the interviews and in my initial sales meeting with them or, you know, if I'm talking to the the storyteller and the storyteller and their client can be very you know, can be different people. So sometimes it's the adult children that will call and say, Hey, I want I want a story done on my mom or dad or, you know, somebody else in the family. Um, I still so, by by the way, one,
0: I think this is I, I'm amazed that this is a business. I'm like, that is the coolest thing in the universe. Isn't
1: it <laughs> And that's the thing. There are so many people that don't even know that our services exist. And there are not all that many personal historians, which is you know, which is exactly why I want to do this podcast and help people, you know, A discover that this is a field that you can make a living at, and B, how do you do it? Because there's um you know, uh the the books are not commercially published. They're not available on Amazon or, or at a at a bookstore. Yeah, um, I was wondering so about it's it's that. Yeah, that's that's a whole different topic. <laughs> but um yeah, when when you when I when I sit down and I talk about the process. So before we even start the interviews, I I basically tell people, you know, it's it's like it's not an we don't I don't even like to use the word interview because there's something scary about that. It's a conversation. And the way that I approach it is, you know, I am You know, I'm just a relative you've never met, and and I'm curious about your life. And when you when you get off on the right footing, you know, when you when you um, when you shape it correctly from the very beginning, that dynamic is enough to just see through the whole interview process. And to be honest, like I, I know that you know you're saying like with or your question was about asking question after question people almost never the storytellers almost never ask me anything about myself and that's appropriate it's yeah. it's a two-way conversation in in some respects but it's clearly focused on the storyteller and the other thing is you know most of the time, not always, I've, I've had people in their 40s and their 50s um, that have been the storytellers, but more often it's people who are retirement age or older. And to be honest, that generation, especially the, the really elderly generation, they... Um, they're not nearly as skeptical about people <laughs> as, <laughs> as well, I know you're much younger than I am, but, you know, is my generation and, and the younger generations. Um, so it's, it's it, they don't people have these so feelings of mistrust.
0: It, it's it, like, like for me, uh, you know, I remember when I was 17 and part of why I wanted to hitchhike was I was like, I'm going to prove that everyone, like, you can trust people and they'll take care of you. And I was really surprised when I started sharing stories about it. People were like, and you didn't get killed? Like, you didn't get, you didn't get like cut into little pieces? Dude, you were lucky. And, uh, I, you know, it's like people, most people are not that bad. Like, it's a pretty friendly place out there for the most right.
1: part. I absolutely I've done my fair share of hitchhiking too. And I'm saying that but you know, my kids who are now teenagers and and one who's 21, if, if I heard that they were hitchhiking, of course, I would absolutely freak out. But the same thing. And one time, as a matter of fact, I was driving in St. Louis right by uh, um, right by Forest Park, where there's hospitals, and some really big young guy, and I was very young at the time, too. He was in scrubs. Um, he, you know, he looked sort of like a tech kind of guy. And, and uh, he was he was waiting for the bus. It was really hot out and I had my window down and he just, he, he kind of looked over at me and he said, Hey, can I get a ride? And you know, my first response was, uh, you won't kill me. Right. He's like, no. <laughs> and so I gave him a ride, <laughs> you know, and, and in retrospect, that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. But, you know, like you said, people in general, I have found if you if you approach people with an open attitude, uh, yeah, there's so much more good out there than there is bad. Um, and, I, you know, maybe you and I are both naive or or, <laughs> or something. But that's that's the way that I have experienced life. And that's what I like to believe.
0: Yeah, I've, I mean, I've grown a little more cautious over time myself, which I kind of feel like it's like this loss of of innocence. It's kind of sad, but um, <laughs> but I, right. I try and keep that. I try and keep that feeling of and you know the world's just full of people who are your friends you just haven't met yet type thing.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's a great way to go through life. Okay, so something else that I read about in your book was um, you you have this exercise of brainstorming five or 10 ideas. Can you talk about that and and maybe how that would apply to um, our work as a personal historian? And I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt myself there for a minute. So the, the big challenges, especially for a beginning personal historian and for, for those of us who don't give get over some of these challenges. So it's not just when we sit down to interview the people, because honestly, after the first few minutes Um, you settle into a really nice pace. And you know, if you if you establish a sense of trust from the very beginning, which, you know, obviously, you're going to do otherwise, they're not going to work with you. Um, The interviewing process, I'm thinking back to when I was a beginner, and I guess it, it, it can make you a little bit nervous. But really, the the things that I always thought were much more nerve wracking, were um, the initial sales meetings. So when you're going in, and you're explaining what you can do for them. Um, and obviously, you're trying to close a sale. So, you know, so that that can make you nervous. But the other thing is too, um, like I had said, very, there's hardly anybody that knows about the industry of personal history. So um, when you are going out, You really, really need to network. You really need to strike up conversations with people, just to get the word out that, hey, this is what I do for a living, and I can do projects for you. Um, And if you are, especially if you're a writer, a life story writer, um, if you're a writer in general, you you tend to be probably a little bit more, um, a little bit shyer than other people. And by the way, I I love your. the end of your subtitle, which is e- even if you're shy, I think that's great. <laughs> but so if you if you have a you know if you're a little bit more introverted, um, and you need to go out and really tout yourself and the services that you that you can give to people, um, what are how can you apply these things like the the brainstorming of the five to ten ideas?
0: To the interviewing part, I can think of I, I have several ways that I would apply that to the. To the networking part, so uh, it depends on it depends on what is giving the person trouble with the networking part. So if it's just like uh, striking up the initial conversation with people, um, then then that can be really useful. Because if you're just like I can't think of what to say, then this particular idea. Well, let me and let me actually. Oh, good! I'm so glad
1: you're starting with this because that's exactly where my (laughs) that's exactly where I have trouble. (laughs)
0: Okay, good. So, so let me explain first of all to the audience uh, what this concept is. So, basically, uh, and I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an example that I like to use, which is that when I uh, so I teach a storytelling class uh, sometimes, and when people come to the storytelling class, or actually before people come to the storytelling class, I do a coaching call with them, and on the coaching call, in, in the first five minutes or so, I say, "Go ahead and make up a story," and. I, I've literally heard, uh, people go,
1: ah, (laughs) and, and, (laughs) that was my internal reaction just now, by the way. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I, they, they, they freeze up and they're like, I, what are you talking about? Like right now, me make one up, (laughs) you know, um, and and I also I'll I'll do that uh, when I'm when I, for people in the the improv classes I teach as well. But I found that the people in the like in particular in the storytelling class tend to be the ones much more who have that particular reaction. And I and I believe that's because well in fact in my experience in talking with them is that they just have this elevated. A, a magical view of storytelling and storytellers and they want it to be amazing and they want to live up to that ideal and so they go blank well there are a couple of reasons one is that they uh anything they may come up with they may have dozens of ideas thousands of ideas in their mind that could come up but they have a bias basically against themselves. Like Often it's like, well, if I came up with the idea, then it can't be great. And if it can't be great, then I don't want to tell it. Um, that's
1: interesting, yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and so they've got this automatic filter that even if an idea comes into their mind, they go, well, that's not a good idea, which is really hard. Like It just came into your mind. How do you know it's not a good idea? Well, probably because you thought it up or it just doesn't seem like it. But really, like any idea that's coming into your mind is just like a fragment. It's just like a little piece. And so you don't know how good it is until you try it. And really it's not the idea itself. That's going to be good. It's like how you implement it. It's how you utilize it. I mean, if you look at, if you look at certain movies or, or books that are out there, like the ideas behind them, if you first heard them, they would sound maybe stupid. Like even like Harry Potter, like if, if the book was not famous now, that's why, and actually that's why she was turned away by numerous, uh, you know, publishing houses, it's it's about a boy who discovers he's a wizard and he has to basically save the wizarding world. Like, does that sound like a great idea? Right, you know, there right. are plenty of people <laughs> in whose hands it would not be a good great idea. Like in their hands it might it's it's how you utilize it. And and so I mean obviously over time you you learn to utilize it better, but so there are a couple ways to and they're they can be counterintuitive, ways to uh flip that switch so that you don't you don't do that to yourself and so when i'm coaching those people on the phone the first thing i'll tell them to do is to make up a bad story make up a boring story make up a like just a really pathetic story and then then they again are like what (laughs) you know because they're like no i don't want to make up a bad story i want to make up a good story and uh and so I have to you know I have to tell them a couple of times, but because because then they're allowed to tell a bad story they it frees up their imagination they can start telling something, and usually it winds up being something pretty interesting because they're just they're just not that good at judging what's good or bad like in the moment as it comes out of your head which is which is you know if you look at most. Most like writing advice, it'll generally be you know write, 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 write. Don't worry about editing. Just get it all out there. Brand, you know, keep it going, and then come back and edit and figure out what you think is good and bad because you can't tell when you're doing it. And so, so one way is just to try and you know come up with bad ideas. So like if you're you know if you're at an event and there's people around, people are you're, you're generally trying to think well, okay, what can I say that would be really interesting, that would intrigue them, that would that would make them want to talk to me, that you know. And that puts a lot of pressure on you. It's a lot of performance anxiety. It tends to, any ideas you come up with, you'll probably shut them down arbitrarily. And so you can, you know, try and think of, you know, what would be like kind of a silly, foolish thing to say? Or, you know, um, and and sometimes those things will not be silly and foolish. And sometimes they will, but you'll start to actually gain experience. Um, the other thing, which is the thing you brought up, is just coming up with lots of ideas so rather than sitting there and being like oh you know i and, and i'll and i'll do this with the students on those phone calls i'll be like okay so just say once upon a time and start to tell a story and then i'm going to interrupt you and you're going to start a new one and they'll go okay it's like once upon a time there was a dragon who lived in the woods and i'll say okay stop stop and then i'll have them do you know story after story so they're focusing on coming up with a number of ideas and it takes the emphasis off of the quality of the ideas and, and, again, is removing the filter that just the qualitative idea tends to get in the way of. And, and I, you know, I don't want to say, like, I don't want, I'm not saying that you should, you should put out, you know, like, bad books or whatever, but we just have this incredible filter, and these are ways to help get rid of the filter.
1: Right, And, and yeah. if
0: rather than thinking like, oh, they're going to think I'm stupid, you're like, okay, what's my first idea? Well, I'll ask them their name. What's my second idea? Well, I'll say my name and then ask their name. What's my third idea? I'll ask them how they're doing. What's the fourth idea? I'll ask them what they think of the crepes that are being served here. What's the fifth idea? Uh, I will ask what is what is like their big passion in life i'll ask like with well, a big question what's my sixth idea well I, you know i will start singing a song and uh see if they know the song like, i'll be like hey do you know the name of the song i don't know the name, you know <laughs> and and you know to, especially the more you come up with um the more ideas for one topic the more you'll be divergent and come up with more creative ideas right uh, and then just pick one of the 10 or 20 that you came up with and find out what happens you know pick one you like pick one you don't like doesn't matter um but but tied into tied into coming up with an an a lot is also doing doing the thing a lot so if you want to approach one person and, and you think, oh, you know, if it doesn't go well, I'm going to look stupid. That doesn't work very well. So, you go out and you your, your goal is not even to do well in any of the conversations. Your goal is to talk to 10 people and even, you know, to, to do kind of crappy in how you talk to those 10 people because there are always more people and it just... You know, when you focus on that number, it takes the performance anxiety off of any one of those conversations. You'll be more relaxed, come up with more ideas, and, and it'll just flow better. And then, you know, after you've done it like 50 times, you'll be like, ah, it doesn't matter if it goes well, and just relax.
1: I love that idea. I love that idea of setting a, a, a you know a concrete goal of saying, I'm going to talk to five or 10 people that I don't know. And you don't, because, you know, honestly, at the very beginning, when you do want to get the word out about your business um, and you're not very comfortable talking about it because either you're shy or because you haven't gotten the clarity on exactly the uh, the services that you're going to offer people or how yeah. you want to approach them. So, so that's, it's, that's yeah,
0: a, let me, let me time in on that. Cause that's a really good point because people will be trying to figure out what is the right thing to say to these people who they do not know. And they don't even have experience with similar people. You've got to actually find out, you've got to go out there and find out what people want, you know, not just in your head or what you guess, but you got to talk to them and find out. And then that will allow you to make, to have a better idea of what they want in the future and present better. It's, it's, you know, it's a feedback process.
1: Right. And, you know, you can't steer a a ship that's moored in the harbor. So you have to get some momentum going. And, and by saying, you know, I'm my goal for each day is to go out and talk to 10 strangers. Um, you're, you're getting the practice, but you're also, I, I love that idea of not worrying about the quality of the, of the conversation, because, you know, it, so much of what we talk about when we're first, when we're first meeting somebody, you know, it's all that phatic communication. So phatic with a pH, you know, it's, it's just for For us to share the sound of each other's voices to see if we, you know, Mm -hmm. hey, how you doing? That doesn't necessarily mean really tell me exactly how you are doing, right? It's just, (laughs) it's just sending, you know, sending a little, a little uh, message out there, like I am trustworthy. Um, You can, you know, we can establish eye contact, and then you can move into something that's a little bit more substantial. Yeah, Um, make
0: them feel comfortable with you, right? And and let me actually, uh, one, like if if someone's listening and they like. They're like, even that, it just feels like I'm just too nervous. Like, I'm just too shy, too introverted. Like, I can't do that. Then you can also look at what are what are kind of steps on the way to that. So, I remember uh, a, an article where one person uh, talked about how he would have people just go out and walk up to people and ask them the time. Because it's a very <laughs> safe thing. So, that's just, you know, find the, however safe of an environment you need to be, and then go do that a bunch. You know, you walk up to 20 people, ask them the time, and you learn that you can talk to someone that you don't know. And then, you know, if, if that's comfortable, then you could make it into something where you're like, hey, you know, I'm on a scavenger hunt. Could you tell me a story as part of the scavenger hunt? Because I need to collect stories, uh, you know, something like that and I, I guarantee that you'll find people are very friendly when you do that i've I've done scavenger hunts uh the company that I used to work for for several years, which was a personal growth company. in every in most of the classes, people would go out on their day off and they would have to do a scavenger, and you would literally knock on a stranger's door and ask for like a um a rubber band or you know a paper clip, and you just knock on door after door. and people are just incredibly friendly that way uh for the most part. And, uh, and it's a good, you know, it's a good, there's no performance anxiety. It's just like, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's strange. But those little baby steps can help you in these other situations.
1: Right, right. Getting, the, you know, the plot points of the story, you know, of, of the story of their day, of what they, what they, how they get started and where they go from, Step one to step two. That can be um, that can be a big confidence boost for somebody who feels a little bit lost in what they're doing. Um, yeah, talking about scavenger hunts. I when my youngest daughter was in sixth grade, I um, for her birthday party, I I did a big scavenger hunt for her and her friends, and um, the last item that the teams had to get was a kiss on a cheek and they had to take a picture of it to prove it a kiss on a cheek from another sixth grade boy and we were at a park it was you know the weekend and and they loved it because uh, you know how often can you go up and say hey can you give me a kiss on the cheek and they got to you know pick whichever boys they thought were cute and that was yeah it it was it was I was pretty proud of myself on that one Um, so yeah you know going back to the the whole fear thing because What I find is that a lot of new personal historians, um, just because everything is new and, you know, you know how it is any, any new endeavor that you undertake, you have to get used to it. You, um, everybody starts with some fear. And one of the biggest things, um, the biggest roadblocks um, and not necessarily a roadblock, but one of the biggest fears that most beginning personal historians have is the fear of not coming across as professional. So, um, you know, if they're, if they're going into the interview and they kind of know what kind of questions they want to ask, but there, there's often like these little gaps in your attention because you're trying to think of, oh, okay, what am I going to ask next? Because, you know, the storyteller is seeing me as the person who is guiding this, you know, guiding this interview, and they know what, you know, they're supposed to know what they're doing. Um, And, yeah, I, I liked in your book, your idea of being fascinated by your scene partner. And in this respect, the scene partner obviously would be the storyteller. And I think if we learn how to cultivate a really true, authentic interest in what the other person is telling us, what the storyteller is telling us, that I think that goes a long way in um, alleviating our fears or we're not paying so much attention to how we are coming across if we're really absorbed in what they are saying. And can you talk about that, that whole idea of being fascinated by your scene partner?
0: Yeah. So I, uh, you know, okay. So I'll, I'll give like kind of the improv example and then I'll actually use uh, uh an, an interviewing example. Uh, so in, in the classes, when I teach improv classes at uh, the, the first yeah, the class. I will have people do a a scene with. I'll have everyone go up and do a scene with a partner, and I don't. I don't really give any instruction. I'm kind of I'm kind of a jerk. I'm just like, go do something, <laughs> do a scene. I don't care. Uh, and they're like, but what do I do? I'm like, I don't know. Find out. Uh, and. It's it's, but I do it because so that they can see progress. You know, a few classes later, when I have them do it again, they can see the progress. Um, but what pe- people tend to do is that they want they want to be interesting. It's very similar to what we're you know what we've been talking about, basically, you know, basically a lot of this time is that they want they don't want they're like terrified terrified of, of being boring, terrified that people will think anything bad of them, and so. They'll generally what they'll do is try and argue with the person in the scene with them, which isn't great because they are really a team together. And if you just argue with the other person, that's actually not very entertaining. Um, And
1: right. And And just to interrupt, just to interrupt, if you're a personal historian and you start arguing, (laughs) you need to find a different line of business. (laughs) Yes. Okay. go, go go ahead.
0: And it also, it, it'll do all the things we mentioned, like they'll freeze up, they won't be able to think of anything because nothing they think of will be creative enough, they'll get stuck in their head, like all this bad stuff happens. And people, if really the, a big goal for the classes is to have them learn to be more interested in the other person. And to focus on making the other person look good and focus on making the other person's ideas look good and developing the other person's ideas so that rather than trying to be awesome themselves, they, you know, if, if, if you, you know, if we are on stage and we're both trying to make each other look good, then we will both look good because, because I'm making you look good. You're making me look good. So we both look good. And. There's just less pressure that way because you know even though it's basically the same goal, just about another person. Like rather than wanting yourself to look good, you want the other person to look good. Uh, it takes the pressure off because because the other person just isn't you. I don't know. It's just it, it's it's not there. Right. Like, I feel... love that
1: idea. I love that whole concept. Yeah. And it's and it is. You know. Um, it, you know, going back to the whole um, idea of personal history. You know, I I always tell people it is we are being honored by being asked to bear witness to somebody else's story. And so that kind of plays right into that. You know, it's, it's maybe not making the other person look good, but giving them the gift of your attention, which, you know, going back to that, that, Brenda Yoland essay that I was talking about. That's what she stresses a lot, too. You know, it's it's actually a gift to give them. And so I think what you're talking about is, you know, making the other person look good. It is a gift that you're giving to them, but it actually has some really good um, consequences for you, too.
0: And I was just going to say, like, rather than rather than focusing on being professional, because that's about you. It's not about mm-hmm. them. Well, I was going to I was going to uh, add on to uh, to your question, because you were also saying people have trouble maybe thinking of the questions to ask. Um, And so, this ties in with what we were talking about a minute ago, which is the coming up with lots of ideas. Now, there is... Have you ever heard of Cal Fussman? No. So, he uh, is, for many years, the writer-at-large for Esquire magazine, and uh, he's interviewed all sorts of famous people, Muhammad Ali, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, you know, various actors in Hollywood, all all these people, And um, for a column called uh, What I Learned, and... He got his start in interviewing, basically. He was in Europe, and uh, he wanted to stay there and continue traveling, but he didn't have much money. So what he started doing was he would go onto a train or a bus, and he would make friends with someone. And they would invite him to be their, his, their guest at, his, at their home, and uh, then often they would so so for example he he describes the first time he was doing this he walks down the aisle on this train and he sees he sees this beautiful woman this gorgeous gorgeous woman and she's she's not wearing a wedding ring and they make eye contact they can tell that she wants him to sit next to her and so he walks down the aisle and then he walks right past her because he thinks he's like that beautiful woman is not inviting me home tonight i need a place to live so <laughs> So he keeps going down the aisle, and, uh, and he finds this really old, toothless, Hungarian grandmother. <laughs> and he sits down next to her. And she doesn't speak English, she doesn't speak Hungarian, but some of the younger people on the train near them do, and so they start translating for him. And he, um, and he goes, he goes, grandmother, can you tell me what... What is important in the great goulash? And she goes, well, let me tell you. And she starts telling him about what's, what's fantastic, like what makes a wonderful goulash. And uh, then eventually she looks around at the younger people on the train and she goes, you know, I've been riding this train. I've been around here for decades and none of you have ever asked about my goulash but this young man who I have just met does, yeah. This you you are going to come over to my house. I'm going to give you a taste of really good goulash. And so she and she has him come over to the house, and a lot of the people from the train come over to the house, and a lot of people <laughs> in the village come over to the house. They have this big multi-day party, and uh, she, he tries her goulash, and you know he he takes his time and he brings it up to his mouth and he and he tastes it, and then he. He goes, mmm, mmm, and everyone cheers, and they're like, he loves the goulash! (laughs) (laughs) And then a few days later, he, uh, you know, he's talking to one of the people, and they go, they go something like, "Uh, you know, Uncle Dario, Uncle Dario has this great bourbon that he makes, or whatever. (laughs) And so and so he winds up going over to Uncle Dario's house with a with a an invitation and then and then he gets passed around for like several weeks and then he goes on to another bus or train and he meets someone else and and for 10 years he basically was just passed around the world like that and so that is how he got his start in interviewing
1: that um, is wonderful that is wonderful <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, it's and so, it's
1: funny what we learn when we ask, you know, when we pose yeah. the questions. And most people are very shy about asking because we have this fear fear that we're going to invade somebody's privacy, but you know, everybody just wants to communicate. Everybody wants to feel those bonds of of community.
0: Yes, and and if you look at like look at his question there's like basically in you know, how what is, what makes a great goulash? Share your expertise. What what you know you look like someone who is good with food and i and you know where where is your personal pride share it with me and uh and that is you know it's it's basically like how how can you share something special about yourself and and let me uh, celebrate that mm-hmm. um and then also cal cal was asked in an interview he was asked you know do you you know how do you you know what do you come up with your questions that kind of thing and he said that he brainstorms in advance he'll write down a hundred or a couple hundred questions that he might ask the person. Then he rips those questions up and goes into the interview without them. And I think that's really good because then he has a, he's just practiced coming up with questions. So his mind is building the habit of coming up with questions and he's got, he's basically primed his mind so that he is ready and has all sorts of material ready and available. Uh, But then He's letting it go, so a it doesn't feel you know it doesn't feel like an interview. Just like he said, he, you said he wants it to feel like a conversation, um, and rather than sticking with a, a plan, he just he utilizes what happens in the moment to trigger the questions that come into his mind, and then he thinks of the right thing to say, uh, and so it's a really nice way to have the best of both worlds, where you are are building in basically a question a question creator in your mind, you've got them primed, so they're ready to go. And yet you're still able to focus on the person and focus on what they give you in the moment.
1: Wonderful advice. Right. It's it's almost like building muscle memory, only it's for your mind. So yes. that you, wow, that's great. You know what, I think I need to schedule a a, uh, a coaching call with you. I, I, <laughs> I kind of think I'm pretty good at interviewing, but you've given me some real insight into... Um, into some things that I've never thought about before.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I, I am very analytical. <laughs>
1: well, in most people, you know, I and most of the other personal historians that I know are not terribly analytical. I mean, you, you know, you have to have high degree of empathy, which I'm sure you're empathetic too. but you have to have a high degree of empathy. And, you know, there's a lot of us that are just sort of touchy feely and, you know, want to want to do these wonderful things for these people. And, you know, maybe, maybe not as analytical as we should be about some of our skills but you know what we are drawing down on our time and i was hoping that you could let everybody know where they could reach you how they can get your book um any other information that you want to share with them
0: yeah so uh well first thank you for having me on this is like so much fun i really really enjoyed it so thank you i
1: agree me too <laughs>
0: Um, So if people want to do anything with me, if you live in the Seattle area or you're going to be in the Seattle area, uh, my improv website is seattleimprovclasses.com. And also, if you would like to do uh, some sort of like phone coachings or Skype coachings with me, uh, just send me an email, chad at seattleimprovclasses.com, and we can figure out some sort of program with you and what your goals are. Um, uh, My book is... Uh, only on amazon right now it's called uh improv manifesto seven simple step or seven easy steps to confidence creativity and charisma even if you're shy um and i'm also actually i'm working on a new book which uh which which you know and i am i'm anxious to really to get as many basically beta readers as i can so if anyone is interested in getting some of the the chapters for the new book, as I create them, send me an email again at chat at seattleimprovclasses.com. improv uh, and I would just love people's feedback because, um, uh, you know, just like like we were mentioning earlier, like the more feedback you can get, the the better you will become at the things you're doing, and um, and so that's something else that I invite people to do. Uh, that and that is, so that is all.
1: Great. Well, thank you, Chad, and I'll put all of those links in the show notes. Um, this this was a great conversation, and I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating, and actually, you know, it was it was cool too because, uh, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm working on the new book, and you know, so I've got all of that stuff fresh in my mind, and it, this was actually a good way, like, to get to basically try out like some of the stories and stuff that are in the book and and like see like okay like does this really get the point across well in uh in this format i was like yeah it feels pretty good
1: well we'll have to talk again anytime you need to practice them out (laughs) i'm available
0: (laughs) (laughs) and and i I wanted to send out one more shout out to your son because you're like after after you uh you know you heard the interview with dave you put your son into the improv classes, and it sounded like it went really well. And so, I just wanted to send I out a big congratulations did. to him. His name is John, yes, right?
1: I, yes, his name is John. He. I heard your interview, and the next morning, I, you know, it takes me a while to let things stew in my brain. The next morning, I woke up thinking, okay, you know what? This would improv would be a great idea for John. He's not a shy kid, but you know, there's, it's. I think it's good for anybody, to be honest. Like just to to practice these skills that you've been talking about. And so the next morning I woke up, I got my computer set up. Um, it was at about 9.07 that I uh, Googled Kansas City Improv. And I found a class that was starting that day, an intensive one-week class. It was starting yes. at 10 o'clock. So I ran home, I picked him up, and I threw him <laughs> in that class. And he loved it. And he the the uh, performance was a week you know, on that Saturday. So he went through a week a week worth of classes. And then they had the performance this Saturday and I was bowled over, not just by John, but all of these performers, they were, they, they did great. And I can see the value of play, you know, of, of, because I think that that instructor did exactly what you do, you know, where it's just all of these different exercises that are very playful. And, um, you know, when you play your, your, our, our mind is not stressed out by things. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And it attaches it attaches fun to learning, which is you know I think a lot, plenty of people attach they attach pain to learning so they don't want to learn, but you know, when you attach fun to learning it it encourages you to learn more.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's no reason not to, right? Yeah. Well, thank you Chad and good luck with um your new book. I can't wait to read it and and read the installments since I am one of your beta readers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank
1: you. Amy. All right, take care. Bye. All
0: right. Bye.
1: Another big thank you shout out to Chad for sharing all of his wisdom and knowledge about personal communication skills and how we can use techniques that he has designed and developed and built on from other people um, in making ourselves stronger and better as personal historians, better listeners, better at bringing the skills that we need to the clients who need our help. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.
0: You've been listening to the life story coach podcast with your host amy woods butler